Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Why Comics. Uh, I'm Stuart Moraine and this week I put the big question to Russell Mark Olsen, he of Gateway City fame. Um, we chat for an hour and a half, possibly a couple of hours, I'm not sure we talked for a good hour before, um, so I can't remember how long the actual episode went on for. But uh, yeah, you're in for an interesting chat, he approached it from a different angle to how other people have and uh, yeah. Hopefully enjoy it, and I shall pass you back over to past me and past Russell, and uh, here comes the theme music. Russell. Hey, Stu, how are you? I'm good. Yourself? Excellent, thank you. Been up to anything exciting? Um, well, let's see what I've been up to. Um, not too much, really. Um, so my day job, I work in a school as a librarian, um, and school has just started, well, not just, it started back up last week. Um, so very much not interesting. Um, <laughs> I love what I do. But, um, you know, for seven, seven, I had seven weeks, seven weeks this year of nice. doing nothing but drawing comics. So it was, I don't think I could go back if I had seven weeks off, man, it's tough. Let me tell you, it's really it tough. Feel like a major life adjustment. Yeah. Well, the thing was, is there was, there was the kind of like a moment about week four where I had figured out my, my kind of like work routine for, for drawing and um putting stuff together that I, I was like you know what i i i could do this i could i could do this as a living like i could make this work um and uh that kind of that moment of like monday morning and like putting the tie on and all of a sudden like the scales falling from your eye i mean like yeah you could do it but you're not there yet <laughs> like oh so um no, you could true. do it, but the mortgage needs paying. <laughs> yes, mortgage needs paying um, because my family lives in America and it's nice to see them every once in a while. It costs to travel. Um, <laughs> being allowed to stay in this country costs money. So, like, yeah, got to pay the mortgage. <laughs> got to wear the tie. Which, yeah. which isn't to say that I don't like wearing a tie. I do like, I do, oh. I've got to say, I've got to say, Stu, one thing I love. Can I call you Stu? Yes. Yeah. One thing I love, um, one thing I've fallen in love with, uh, I'm a real Anglophile for, well, not just an Anglophile, I'm a sort of a, a Britophile for uh, traditional um, British fashion. Like, I am a lover of tweed. Let me say it now. Maybe I should start wearing, like, my tweed jackets to cons. Um because like that's the the nicest thing about working in the school I work in, um, is that I get to wear like my tweed jackets, and I don't feel out of place. Um, however, I will say that I'm probably the only person in the school wearing tweed jackets because English people don't apparently wear tweed. Um, so I look a bit like a, a poser. But geez, like a really nice like Harris tweed jacket. Oh, you feel like a million bucks. That's it, man. You got to wear what makes you feel good. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, maybe 
there there are those photos of like um uh of like the Bashimas sitting there drawing comics in ties. So like maybe maybe I just need to like start wearing a tie around the house. Yeah, do it. See, I don't I've, I've never had a job where I've had to wear a tie, apart from when I worked at Tesco's for a brief period they made you wear a tie. But All right. But yeah, so I've always sort of loved the idea of suiting up and <laughs> there's something about it like you you feel like a different person it's like a costume you put this on and you're like um this is like relating this back to comics there is there is something to be said for superman and clark kent um yeah like okay glasses really aren't gonna fool anybody but just putting on like i've probably if like students saw me out and about in my normal like baggy jeans and like sloppy t-shirts would probably do a double take um, compared to what I would wear in the day job, so yeah. there is a kind of there is an anonymity that 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 like suit and tie gives you, and it does make you feel like um, like you can make decisions, be respected. <laughs> so, it's just, say it just say it feels right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it feels. But, you know what it feels like? It feels grown up. Yeah, um, you feel like you feel okay about admitting you've got a mortgage when you're wearing a tie and a jacket. Which is why I largely wear Hawaiian shirts, because then I never <laughs> have to feel grown up. <laughs> or admit uh, I've got a mortgage. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But but anyway, um, I've sort of brought you here to ask you the big question. Mm-hmm. I do. You see, finally. <laughs> seven episodes in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Said it now. Rings in the post. Yeah. Oh, class. <laughs> it's an onion ring, but you know. <laughs> but yeah, um, Russell. You had me an onion. Well, I mean, then in a ring form, it's like it was meant to be. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm well, changing okay, so that, that. It's, that it's not why comics, it's why onion rings. <laughs> so you've, you've essentially answered the question for me um like why comics it was like it was meant to be i think comics are inevitable um i should probably clarify that a bit because that's quite a big statement but i've been thinking about this a lot since you started doing um the series which um is brilliant by the way it's been really great everybody's writing about it thank you i shall paypal you that money now Thank you. Um, I'll take dollars or sterling. Actually, I take dollars. I mean, have you seen the way sterling has been recently? Yeah, yeah, I'd, um, I'd go dollars. <laughs> but uh, it's probably yeah, worth I... more in nectar points, to be honest. <laughs> Ooh, I've got a nectar crab around here somewhere. Um, yeah. So, so like, okay, so, um, I mean, almost like everybody who's kind of been chatting about their sort of personal experience of like how they um or like or what how comics have found a way into their lives i mean my my answers would be fairly similar if not carbon copies of of a couple different individuals um so i don't you know i don't i don't really feel like i've got it or i don't feel like anybody would learn anything from me um kind of piling up on the same stuff which isn't to say like what they've said um isn't useful because you know 
Uh, absolutely, it's all useful. And and probably my story is somewhat different, but um, I'm I've but because of the question, I've been thinking more about comics in a in a less personal, more um, what do you want to say it like um, um, institutional form. Okay. So cool. so like I was I was I was musing to myself about um, like where they come from, and I thought I'd better get some facts straight. So I was looking into like expressions of human um, culture, like art. And so the human race has been around for like 200,000 years, which when I checked it out, I was like, that can't be right. I always had it in my head that it was around like 600,000. But 200,000 seems to be the, the kind of like standard acceptable answer to that question. And like, I know that like obviously 200,000 is a very long time, but it doesn't sound that long, particularly when you think like, you know, the earth has been around for four plus billion. Yeah. Um, and so I, I then thought, well, okay, so how long have we been making marks for? How long have we been trying to express ideas through means other than um, the, like, like literal interpretation of things? So um, if you were hunting um, some animal, you would communicate that to other people by pointing at the animal that you're hunting. Right. So how do you how do you communicate about something which isn't present that you can't directly point to? And I thought, well, okay, so people probably were making some kind of marks fairly early on. But like, no. Well, I mean, okay. We we can't know for certain because probably the first medium that people were making marks in was like mud or the earth with a stick. And so unless they happen to do that under um some sort of like lava flow or um or like tree resin there's no way that that is going to be recorded in any meaningful way yeah so the first kind of um archivable if you want to use that term um art is about forty thousand years old like that is two percent of of like the 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 lifespan of humanity like that's incredible like two like, like probably my math is off because i'm an artist but but i think that's about right like right two hundred thousand years forty thousand years you've been making art yeah is that again right? I'm, I'm not i'm not going to argue the maths i okay. married an accountant so i never have to think about maths again right excellent so. good yeah <laughs> i mean i i've got degrees in art so don't ask me to add numbers um, but you know, from like my Google calculator tells me I'm right, so I'll take works it. for me. Um, but if anybody wants to like, is do you have like a comment section below? Uh, yes, there is. So. If anybody wants to like check my math, fuck off. Um, <laughs> but, so, like, I mean, the point stands that like you would expect this to have been around for longer, like human expression in a creative manner to be longer than 40,000 years and again we could argue that there's no way of knowing but 40 like but but, but what we do know is 40,000 so it we've we've moved from communicating with 
simple words, simple imagery, to something like the um, uh, the the friezes in Egypt, early Egypt, um, which in and of themselves are really a kind of comic. There's a there's a particular way that you read it, so there's a structure to it. It's not just um, pick and choose your images. There is a, a natural progression. Um, there's a combination of of glyphs and images. Um, and like everything, the forms develop and they change as the medium evolves. So you go from carving things in rock to putting them in um, clay to writing, inscribing them on pieces of soft lead to writing them on parchment to paper. Um, and then printing press comes along and then the industrial printing press comes along. So like why comics will, like comics are inevitable. Um, like we were, if, if, if one of the ways that we communicate is through images and words, then we are going to communicate using them both at the same time. Um, there's, there's some, I think 12th to 13th century manuscripts, um, like illuminated Bibles that are the first instances of like speech balloons. I don't know if you've seen these before, um, but they're really interesting. They're what they've done is for direct passages where like such and such saint says something. Um, they will in the illustration, there's a banner, like a scroll coming out of their mouth. Um, in, like this is the way, like because words are written on scrolls, they're, yeah, they, that's the way they interpret it, is to put a scroll in someone's mouth and then have it unfurl and have the words on the the scroll. So all of the, the, me the mechanics of comics aren't new. Um, it like you've, you've got it all there. You've got human expression. You've got the need to communicate. Um, you've got uh, myth making. You've got uh, narrative. Um, and then and then it's really difficult not to add the commercial element to it as well. Um, so you, you, you then kind of, you, when you look at um, those strips in like the Hearst newspapers of the early 20th century, um, it kind of all falls into place. Like you think, okay, so you've got a situation. Um, we're going to, I'm going to like stick to America because I know more about the history and culture, yep. but you've got this kind of like perfect storm of, um, of, of, of a really, um, I'm going to try and not use inflammatory phrases. I was going to say like mass immigration, but that sounds a bit negative in today's connotations. But you've got a, a major influx of um, of Europeans settling in the United States um, and a lot around these sort of large cities like New York, Chicago, St. Louis, um, uh, L.A., you know, wh wherever these sort of large hub, Boston, you get this influx of um, Germans, Italians, um, Irish, um, quite quite a few who are either not uh, fluent English speakers or are, are flat out illiterate. Um, and so, how do you how do you, as a newspaper magnate, make a dent in the pocketbooks of these of this this new audience you've got? Well, it, like it becomes obvious. You you put pictures 
in your newspapers. Um, and you you put text with the, the images and you make it fairly basic text. Uh, I'm thinking like things like Cats and Jammer Kids, where um, where like sometimes the the speech of the characters who were probably you know German immigrants um, is is written out um, like like literally, so phonetically. So the 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 zats and the z's and the the sort of German inflection is all present in the in the speech. Um, so like this sort of this sort of perfect storm of being able to communicate to um, both your your sort of traditional English speaking readers and these uh, this this sort of new immigrant community is going to create opportunities for um, things that had been kind of kept to the political cartoon side to be a more popular form of entertainment. Um, and then because of uh, innovations and technology and Man was starting to feel like it was on top of the world because of all of its improvements to um, health and uh, society and culture and the arts and technology um, that we were going to start creating these sort of superhumans. Um, so it was always it was always going to happen. But what that what I think is is kind of sad, or maybe not sad. Um, slightly oh what's that like what would you call like if if like that sort of sentiment of knowing that something is um not necessarily going to die but like is going to wither like that sort of coming to grips the fact that like we're all gonna die what do you want to call that um oh there is a word for it isn't there yeah anyway yeah <laughs> when when you're when you're down in the comment section correcting my my math put the word in um so the that kind of that sense of um, I mean almost macabre sense that something is going to have a finite period of time. I don't think the comics are ever going to die, but I I think that their heyday is potentially up. Um, just as like illuminated like like when was the last time that you bought an illuminated manuscript? Um, it's been a couple of years for me. Yeah, um, you know I was going I was going like guns blazing for a while there i had like <laughs> i had like all the apostles and you know i had it all uh but like you know i just lost the bug um so i like i think that comics just like say um like portrait painting they're one of these arts that sadly it's, it's kind of going to be relegated away from the sort of mainstream um which isn't to say that i don't think that there's a brilliant future for comics because they're still really wonderful portraits being painted yeah um, and, in, and in some ways it could mean that the, the the quality like the level of quality within comics is only going to improve because because it's no longer an attractive way of of telling stories to the masses or of making buku bucks um only those who really feel passionately about the art form are going to stick around in it. So in one, in one sense, you could say that the, the sort of halcyon days, um, you know, the, the golden year of like the true golden years of comics are in the future, which is, is, is the sort of sanguine um, kind of message that I would, that I really want to, uh, to make sure that I'm, I'm trying to reinforce with this statement. Yeah. 
Um, so the you know the holofoil covers of of the nineties um, and the Rob Logfeld feet are are probably um, done, but that's no bad thing. It just means now that the the medium is going to is is coming. It's becoming more mature. It's figuring out how to stay alive while YouTube and Twitch and um, and new levels of gaming and the mediums that don't even exist yet, um, but will very shortly, yeah, um, take take priority. So I I think comics were always going to happen. I think they were they you know they were our destiny. Um, I you know I mean that without being ironic or silly. I really I think that particularly for people like I don't know like well like me like probably you there's some something that we are that we gravitate towards where I take information in more effectively when I do it with a combination of pictures and words yeah um, I get more yeah. get more enjoyment out of it um, yeah definitely I mean I've said it before I think we're sort of the last of that generation that maybe didn't have a telly easily at hand kind of thing you know there was maybe one or two in the house but certainly not one in your room that you could go up and watch so yeah. comics were the big escapism thing and again i've said before i think comics are a large part of what taught me to read obviously i learned to read books that they teach you at school but sort of engaging with it myself kind of thing and if you see what i mean with learn to read school taught me that to understand the words comics taught me to read them in a fluent flow and i think mm -hmm. the pictures aided with that and then for building a visual image kind of thing and then to go and read novels and that sort of thing i don't know <laughs> no you, no you're absolutely right um and and i think well not not think i know um I, you know i studied fine art um at, at both um like undergraduate and at i've got like a master's level um which is which isn't a brag it's the same thing as saying i've spent all of my money on a burning hole um <laughs> uh but it's just saying like the that I've, I've kind of i've spent a lot of time thinking about things like visual communication and so, okay so something i tell students when um when i'm talking to them about comics because i do uh, occasionally lecture on um on comics for uh for the sixth form at the school i i am a librarian for and an example i often use to tell them about how um visual reading visual literacy is is present and almost kind of um instinctual is to look at the evolution of the letter a and how in um phoenician again this is something that check my facts um i think it's the phoenician alphabet um there was a, a symbol was used which was a very kind of crude bull's head and it i don't i don't exactly know the reason for it but i think i was told somewhere along the lines by some art history teacher many years ago that the symbol was created initially to help to um to help 
to like livestock owners to to take stock of their cattle. So one drawing of a cattle head meant they had one cow. And then that level well one it became faster to simplify that drawing into two lines. And then that cow's head throughout um, as it's passed along from um, evolving culture to evolving culture becomes the the Greek alpha, which becomes the Roman A. So, you know, our, our humble letter A, capital A, started life as uh, a bull's head. Um, <laughs> so from, from what was a, an almost literal interpretation of, a, like the, the object was attempting to emulate the thing it was representing to becoming something as abstract as the letter A, um, which has no meaning, um, as well, except for being a, an article. But as 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 just like it's just a sound, it represents a sound which coupled with other things then becomes something. But on yeah. its own, it's it's kind of it needs context to be to have existence. Um, the, the the visuals, there is there is a literacy of visual reading. So when you're reading a comic, you are reading more than just the words you are you are you are reading the pictures you're reading the images um so for those of us who are visually minded um it's a it's an, a, a more comfortable way of reading and i i think this is like this is one of those myths that we're we're starting to kind of kill within our society is that visual literacy is um is inferior to literal literacy. Um, yeah. That there is a skill in, in reading a, a situation. Um, there's, I mean, there are people who can walk into a room and immediately spot something that's wrong. They can spot um, someone's body language, um, the way that they are um, slumped, or the way that, even like subtle little gestures. You know, maybe they... Their, their posture is just a little bit less straight than it normally is. Um, and you can, that person can immediately tell that the, the person who's sort of slightly slumped, um, there's something wrong with them. There's something going on. And they, they're able to, within that split second, having read that scene, are able to go in and um, maybe help resolve a situation or to, uh, or, or to give that person space. Um, so th there, is, there is a value in being able to, to, to interpret visuals and to do it very quickly um something that probably most comic crafters are aware of is that there's this statistic that's flying around it's been for a couple of years it's been in some of these i think it was in scott mccloud's understanding comics about how the average reader of a comic only spends about two seconds per panel like looking at the panel and the rest of the time like they, they'll spend however long it takes to read the speech balloons but the image itself gets about two seconds yeah and as somebody who spends hours drawing pages of comics, you kind of lament that. You're like, oh, yeah. I spent all this time drawing beard stubble. I want you to look at all the beard stubble. Um, but it's not that somebody isn't appreciating all of the, the visual cues. It's just that if, if, a, if a panel is well drawn and it's clear, then that's all anybody needs to really understand what's going on is about two seconds. Yeah. Uh, and like, you kidding me? That's a skill. Like that to be able to to spend 
not much time looking at a panel and like and immediately get it like i'm sorry that is literacy at a high level that is high functioning literacy um you know that person can work for me any day so so i think you know I, i think hopefully future generations will see that actually that kid who wasn't very good at reading and she spent too much time in their minds drawing pictures as opposed to to practicing their alphabet that's no bad thing you know they it's just they learn differently and she will go on to excel in any number of other fields um maybe just not pencil pushing yeah yeah it's uh it's an interesting thing isn't it like you say you've as an artist you spend so long pouring over something and to have that in the back of your mind that there is somebody you know you know the majority potentially majority of people looking at it are gonna process it in such a short space of time mm. that yeah um i had a point and it's gone <laughs> <laughs> well it's it's something to keep in mind that like well one again um you spend all that time crafting an image not well you i think you should be not for people to marvel at it but to communicate it's it's the yeah. same as like when you're writing a comic you might write the same line of dialogue um changing words subtly removing words you'll spend a long time doing it but you don't lament the fact that somebody doesn't read each speech balloon 50 times over um that's not the point the point is to convey the story so you know, I, I quite, um, I'm trying to think of, I've got all these comics around me here. So let's say, um, like this essential, Marvel's essential Captain America, um, with lovely Jack Kirby artwork. Um, I'll sit and read through a story in about what, five minutes, 10 minutes, you know, the, the sort of sixties eras, um, sixties, seventies era comics. They don't take long to read. No. Um, but that that isn't a um, that's not saying or it's it's not putting value onto the artwork or taking value away by saying you read it quickly. Um, I can I I can tell you you know that Jack Kirby is amazing, <laughs> and just because I spent two seconds average looking at his panels does not mean that I don't appreciate his artwork. Um, and certainly somebody shouldn't be thinking about how long readers are going to be looking at their artwork and cursing them for not spending more time looking at it. Um, I think that's a silly way to go about things. Uh, you should be, you should be pleased if people are only spending two seconds looking at your pages and they still get the story, then you've done your job and you've done your job really well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's fine. It, but at the same time, it's an argument for not overworking your drawings. And I think it's also, it's a, it's a nice balm to people who are really worried about all the little mistakes they've made. Um, you can get away with a few mistakes. That's fine. Yeah. I, I mean, the other thing is like, they're so, you know, it's about 120 to 160 image like drawings per comic. You're not going to get it right every time. Um, you've got to keep going. And so take 
take some comfort in the fact that people aren't going to be nitpicking. Um, I mean, you know, there's there's a certain level of like, if you do a particular thing poorly all the time, they might pick up on it. But if you draw one bad hand in a book of of a hundred hands, I think you'll be forgiven, more or less. Um, I mean, you can yeah, pick up. I mean, oh, I've sorry. always quite liked the imperfections in comics, the slight inconsistencies, or even down to the old 60s era where something was the wrong colour on one page kind of thing. It's always added that thing element to it. Yeah. To the point where I sometimes find those more interesting than the nicely polished, lovingly poured over, every detail is spot on. Yeah. Kind of because it just feels a bit clinical. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Um, When I was younger, I, I imagine most people our age probably started this way maybe i'm wrong but um the the richard donner superman films were out around the time that i was born uh and was growing up yeah um my first cosplay experience was my superman pajamas um with with removable cape because they didn't want children strangling themselves um (laughs) yeah which which makes you wonder like how many kids strangled themselves first before they decided to make the capes Velcro? Um, that's a that's a, a morbid statistic I'll have to look into. Um, probably not. It's probably yeah, best probably. to... Let, let's assume that's just somebody in the office was like, they might hang themselves with that. It's like, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, Glad yeah. we caught that before we shipped any out. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Yeah, there's a chance the kids are going to be jumping off of roofs um, into backyards that have trees and capes might catch um let alone the the busted ankles and shins yeah. um but i guess you know you'll survive busted ankles and shins you can't blame us for that but you can blame us if the cape hangs in. <laughs> oh those makes for some awful newspaper visuals yeah um but the so so some of my first comics were superman and um and batman comics um, I mean, this is uh, I mean, this is a heyday for for DC artwork in my book. Um, but then somewhere along the lines, um, in the late '80s and into the '90s, I I think DC artwork jumped the shark for me. Um, there were some artists at Marvel who probably did this. Um, I suppose like particular names of like. Jim Lee in all of his lines, like Jim Lee, you don't need so many lines. Um, <laughs> and probably, probably Jim Lee today would tell Jim Lee of like 1990s Jim Lee, leave a few lines for someone else. Um, but there was a, there was a kind of a particular like DC style, which tended to be over rendered. Yeah, um, that really put me off DC. There, there. I mean, there are some artists who. We're working like, and they're still out there, and I won't name any names because that's shitty. Um, but there, there are some artists out there who, no, you know, nothing against them. Like they're amazing. They're, they're they are exquisite draftsmen and women. Um, but that, to me, a comic doesn't need exquisite draftsmanship. Um, 
and there is a there is a level of 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 like perfect comic drawing is drawing that communicates perfectly and sometimes rendering every single hair and every single vein on a bicep doesn't add anything um no i know what you mean i've always been a fan of the very much the 60s 70s era where you know you you did a chest you just put a line across for the chest and you put a line down for the abs yeah that was it and possibly to either side and it's sort of what i always loved about the bruce tim style for batman the animated series absolutely to put into a (laughs) non-comic-y thing but (laughs) bruce bruce tim kind of picked up where alex toth left off and said i can simplify this even further yeah my favorite and and bruce tim darwin cook that that sort of um 50s inspired era sort of cadre of of artists that came out of the 90s um are are among among my favorites um darren cook in particular yeah Uh, do you have that do you have that um bruce tim masterworks book by the way yes oh isn't that beautiful it is yeah so good i think Um, that's the first masterworks i bought (laughs) oh god that's a good one that's a good one nick Nick just got me back on those so i've been gradually collecting (laughs) them up again (laughs) oh that's right he did mention them didn't he yeah um yeah they're good but but my my favorite artist and he has been for a number of years and i think he will continue to be for many more is harvey kurtzman oh cool Uh, and he he does something which is in the same vein as kirby but he does it with um with a bit more consideration so Kirby, um, in many ways, I think while, while Kirby is 100% an artist, and I, I think he's an artist of the, of the finest art, um, I think in 50 years' time, Kirby will be on the same page as um, Lichtenstein and Warhol in reviews of, of modern art of the... 40s up to the 70s say I, yeah. I i honestly believe that but i think i think kurtzman um he he wasn't um kurtzman probably was more aware of the rules of the art form and exploring those rules i think kirby discovered those rules but i think he did them from a workhorse perspective Kirby just worked so goddamn much that like he figured it out. Yeah. But I don't think he spent a whole lot of time musing about it. Um, which is fine. In many ways that 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 Kirby is is like this beautiful example for anybody who really struggles with drawing. That if you just draw page after page after page after page, you'll get it. You will get it. Like you will get it. It's just tenacity. You just got to do it. And and Kirby is a, a wonderful example of that. Um, and that that sheer force of drawing and drawing and drawing. Um, you you know you if you if you have the output that Kirby did and you're you're putting out four books a month. Um, if anybody has any little tiny grumbling complaints about the the anatomy, then like. 
Who are you? <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> if you're putting out four issues a month, like, I don't care. Like, who cares about how well uh, a chin was rendered? Who cares if, if every single um, character is more or less the same <laughs> in, like, in certain like levels of appearance? Uh, it doesn't really matter um, because that sheer force of, um, of, of, of production and of heart, you know, that, that, that is wonderful. Like that just, that is a, it's, it's just kind of like, it's a beautiful product. It's a beautiful thing. I said, it'd be very easy to look at somebody who had the, you know, factory kind of workmanship of, um, Kirby where he was doing like four issues a week or yeah. whatever and kind of look at it like you know he's just phoning it in there but you never got that with Kirby no and it, you and always felt that he gave his all to every page he did yeah whether he yes. did give his all or not <laughs> yeah it, it never showed in the work which I think is commendable mm. and there's a there's a level of like and maybe it was just that kind of natural gift of storytelling that you know, getting back to what I was mentioning earlier, like the thing that Kirby does so well is tell a story. Yeah. Um, there's, there's no, you don't get lost looking at Kirby images, despite how trippy they can get sometimes. Yeah. Um, he doesn't lose you. He, you know, he grabs you by the scruff of the neck and he pulls you along every page, <laughs> and and at the end, um, you know, he he probably shakes your hand and dusts you off a bit. Like it was, it might have been a bumpy ride, but like you got every single story beat, um, and you enjoyed it, and like you 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 absolutely enjoyed it, Des- despite Stanley's overriding of stories, um, the sheer force of Kirby's drawings make up for it all. Yeah, um, which isn't to you know discredit Lee's contribution to it all. No, but, no, I know. But getting back to Kurtzman, um. There is a, there's like a, there is a sense of awareness that Kurtzman realizes the time and the place in which he's writing. He is aware of the, the steps that are being made in the modernist movement. He's aware of how design is making its way into the language of illustration. And he's taking every advantage of that. And he is playing with mark making. He's playing with uh, composition. He's playing with how how simplified he can he can get away with making his drawings, um, which isn't to say that he is hurrying things. Kurtzman is famous for being is fairly um, sort of measured and slow in his output, which is why we don't really have a whole lot of Kurtzman work that he's left behind. Um, he kind of quickly shifted into gear of being a writer and an editor, um, which is, you know, I don't begrudge him for doing that. I'm a bit sad that he hasn't left more artwork behind, but yeah. what he has left us um, is is pure beauty. If like if anyone listening to this who's interested in more Kurtzman doesn't have um, that brilliant, uh, is it Fanographics? I think that did the yeah. re-releases. I think um, so, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, if they don't have Corpse on the Engine, um, go on Amazon or your local bookstore or your local comic book shop or whatever venue you buy your books and buy that right now. 
um and it's a it's a it's a really brilliant primer into his work and the thing that i i, I think kurtzman excels at over kirby is he's um in terms of the writing itself because um like i love new gods um but i do think there are bits which are a bit clunky um, yeah and I, yeah. I love them for the clunkiness um but i i i wouldn't begrudge them a little bit more finesse um whereas it's kurtzman i think he's just a bit he's a he's a bit more um streamlined he's a bit more efficient he's a bit more effective i i wonder i actually i wonder if this has anything to do with the fact that he is very much a comedian it's like those 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 types of actors um or comedians who transition into being actors who just blow your socks off um thinking of like you know like um steve martin or um bill murray yeah uh, or even like whoopi goldberg really like like when she turns her head to a dramatic role like holy shit like they it, I, there's something about um like comedians they okay so so actors particularly like actors who, who are like method actors um they attempt to like inhabit the role that they are portraying so they if there's a particular emotion that they're trying to convey they're drawing on their own experience of having felt that emotion but like comedians are more interested in um, timing and in very small finessing of material to get the best response from it. So I, I, I mean, I may be wrong, but I would, I would guess that probably comedians, when they turn their hand towards more dramatic acting, are thinking about um, they're more like a puppeteer. Like their body yeah. becomes a, a vessel through which they are constantly aware of how they're responding so they're not giving themselves 100 to the moment they're figuring out how best to play that moment and so they want to perform maybe a more true to the source material performance because they're attempting to interpret as opposed to be the character and yeah. i think i think kurtzman who's just naturally really funny i mean just look at those early issues of mad magazine that he edits and writes um, they're still funny. They're still funny. Um, that when he's writing like war stories, like are in Corpse in the Engine, um, he understands irony. He understands pathos. He understands um, how to do like he understands timing. So like um, like the, the titular um, story in uh, Corpse in the Engine. Um, it starts out, if memory serves, with um, this guy like eating a tin of beans by the, this riverbank in Korea. And he watches this body floating down the river. And he's kind of thinking about life and death. And, um, and so this, you have this kind of bookend, this first part of this bookend. And then out of the bushes, this uh, desperate... Korean soldier jumps out and starts attacking the soldier with like a stick and um, they wind up tussling down the riverbank and they're into um, the river and there's they're, they're, each one is trying to drown the other one and, um, and like just moments earlier um, the soldier was like empathizing and, um, and kind of 
feeling sympathy for this dead body, which is probably a, a North Korean soldier. And here he is struggling for life. And in that, those sort of quiet moments of reflection from a few panels earlier, that's all gone. And there's yeah. just the violence of that struggle and that will to survive. That even though there is a way, there's there's a level at which he feels compassion for his his enemies. In the moment of life or death, all that is gone, and it's so beautifully illustrated. And if he's eventually he um, he overcomes the Korean soldier and he drowns him, and then the body goes drifting down the river. Um, and there's no. There's no glory, there's no, um, there's no, like, sort of toxic machismo. It, it is just what it is. It's poignant, and it is um, and realistic, and it's told with so, such, a, such an economy of line. Um, and it's, it's sort of, it's one of the, the most beautiful pieces of comic storytelling that I've ever seen. Um, and it's there's just there's a level of of sophistication that I don't know that Kirby ever got uniquely or or comprehensively. He but no sorry he did get it comprehensively I should say that um, he you know by the sheer mass of work that Kirby's left behind you can pick out bits and pieces that have that level of sophistication, but you could tell with Kurtzman he could he could do it all day, um, but it just meant that he wasn't going to do as much. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I think there's a genuine skill to that kind of art that mm. is often overlooked because of its simplicity—not simplicity, but you know, I mean the no, the skill of with the economy. Yeah, yeah the economy. Yeah, that's. The <laughs> but I, I, you know, going back to like why comics, like, like that story is why comics. Um, you could you could easily film that, or you could um, you could write it out as a prose story. But it doesn't have the same impact. There, there's um. So if, again, if anybody has, have you have you read that story before? I, I haven't. No, I must yeah. admit, I've Kurtzman's one that I'm familiar with, and I've seen bits of, but I've never, you know, properly dived into it. Right. Okay. Would to to kind of um. Uh, <laughs> so, um, I, I used to work at a, a comedy club doing improv comedy years ago. Um. And I don't think I was very funny, but some of my friends are brilliant and very funny. And one of the, the funniest moments I've ever seen was my buddy Josh, who now he is a professional comic and he's on a, a talk show, a syndicated talk show in the States. He's so funny. Um, but he did this piece where he's at a, I think he was at a funeral and he was, he was relating this um, Peanuts cartoon strip to um to the to the mourners of this funeral by like reading out every single detail of this peanut strip to the point that it he was like stripping out any meaning of this <laughs> like beautifully poignant comic strip that he was trying to kind of convey the you know the the futility of life through um you know done beautifully so i'm i'm about to do that same thing but um but unironically or unintentionally. <laughs> so, so at the point that the soldier tumbles down into the, the river with this Korean soldier, and he's holding him underground, or he's holding him under the water, um, and 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 through these like very expressive 
expressionistic lines. Um, there, so there's, I think it's, I think it's two rows. I should really be looking at this. There's two rows. So on this page, let's say there are, I don't know, four rows. Kurtzman often wrote, like, often had, instead of like, like Gibbons does in Watchmen with them, um, series of nine, like three by three. Yeah. Kurtzman would often do four rows, sometimes using four panels, sometimes using two or three. But I think I think the top half of this page is eight panels of these little rectangles. And it starts out the, like the camera to explain it in terms of a camera. It starts out kind of a little distance away, but you still see the entire head, shoulders, arms, and then the water surface uh, of the of the of the, the American GI and only maybe like some bubbles from the water to represent the Korean soldier, like he's completely underwater. Right. And then the second panel, it zooms in a bit more and you have like the chin of the soldier and his arms in all of these beautifully rendered um, uh, brushy creases of his uniform. And again, more of the water. And then you zoom in closer and you, you're now, you just see like his arms and the water um, and a few bubbles. And then it zooms in again and now um, you, you've just got like his wrists and the water and the water is starting to, to become more placid. And so he's starting to bring in a much darker black line as opposed to these sort of tiny um, uh, texture lines of, of like bubbles and ripples. And then you go in again and it's just, oh, sorry. No, the first panel, the very first panel is almost like a Francis Bacon painting. There's this, um, the, um, the the soldier like the korean soldier has his like hand like all up in this guy's face and the the soldier the korean soldier has this like like this this sort of awful mouth open like this almost like animalistic expression of of just pure um survival uh and like there's a like a hand and a mouth and then but, we, we go on and eventually you're just left with this abstraction of black and white ink. Um, and, and it, like it's rendered to a point where there's almost no pictorial reference. Like if you saw that panel out of context, it wouldn't mean anything really. And it, it just in some way brings in fine art references, printing process references, the 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 materialistic quality of ink and brush and paper and at the same time delivers this kind of quiet um reverence for the struggle which has just occurred and finality of like of the death of this character um and it there's it's that kind of standard of comic craft that I think I will always aspire to do something as brilliantly done as that. And this is like, bear in mind, this is a guy whose forte is comedy. Yeah. This is a guy who is quite happy to write a story about super duper man. Um, yeah. and, and here he is like giving you this, this awful, um, worthless, struggle between these two soldiers who are both just trying to survive um 
And it's it's one of the most beautiful pieces of comic storytelling I've ever seen. So if for if for like if you want to like forget all of my mumblings about um, uh, inevitability of comics, like make comics because of that. Like try to do that. Try to do something as meaningful and as poignant as as like those eight panels. Um, it's 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 something else. Like probably people are gonna buy that book and then look through it and be like, what the fuck. <laughs> but like I, to me I, I like i don't think that that's possible i think i don't think there's a way of looking at that and not being moved by it yeah i mean like say i mean super duper man that sort of thing that was what i was familiar with kurtzman with so i sort of had no idea that that was yeah i mean that sounds amazing that's gone straight on my wish list so. yeah dude i mean they, they you know i think ec comics they're of of that sort of silver age um, collection of of publishers, and there were loads of them out there, from like Gold Key to Dell to Marvel and DC. Um, uh, EC is my favorite. They um, from like Jack Davis to to Kurtzman to Will Elder, they were all just absolutely brilliant storytellers. Um, but the, the thing about like Kurtzman war stories is that being a veteran himself, he just didn't see any point in glorifying war, Yeah. Um, but he knew there was a demand for war comics. So he gave them, he gave readers the reality of war. Um, he, he very rarely gave you heroes. Um, they were always, um, learning a lesson as well as 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 being a tool for teaching lessons about futility of war and how um how little glory there is in it um how poetic conflict is um but he was a boy he was a curmudgeon though he didn't think much <laughs> of anybody um he hated most of what everybody produced <laughs> yeah but um, but he he actually he did like Jeff Kirby he did like his work, he was an admirer of it. Um, he thought he should slow down, but he 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 thought he was um, one of the few real talents of the of the time. Yeah. It's a, it's a shame they never collaborated. Actually, it'd be interesting to see what um, Kirby's work on top of a Kurtzman script would have come up with. But yeah, um. It's a... Certainly, like looking through Gateway City, in that you can see that sort of influence in your work, not you know a direct lifting of, but you can see it inflected throughout the work. I, you know, I it's it's something I hope to achieve. I don't know that I'm I'm there yet. Um, it's it's one of the reasons why. Um, I, I mean, thank you for saying that. Um, I. I kind of telling like telling making comics for me exists as as two well at least two um two goals one is to tell a story and then two is just to to tell a better story it's to tell a story more efficiently more effectively more convincingly um than anything I've done before and it's 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 one of the reasons why I like experimenting um you know, I, I I don't have the 
the the professional luxury at the moment of being able to do nothing but draw comics like say Kirby did. Yeah. So when you you know when you're drawing four issues a month, you're going to figure stuff out four times faster. So instead, it's nice to be able to experiment. So like with like with with what Nick Parks and I did um at the very first part of the summer about that um flip book. Yeah. About figuring out how to how to tool a paperback, like a sixties era paperback, how to do how to how to kind of work with text and image in a very different way than what I'm used to. And 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 having done so, are there then lessons that I could apply to comic making? Um or with like uh, Black Iris. Black Iris was very much um a moment of me trying to figure out how to strip words away and just like with with words like tied behind my back just communicate using visuals and i did cheat a bit with like some speech balloons in text with like the rat and the speech balloon and the... yeah yeah which yeah. is like images but um but i thought those were kind of acceptable compromises in yeah. a sense I mean, ideally, it'd be something I'd go back to and figure out a way of doing without any of that. But, See, I find uh, that quite inventive. I find it, I find it a different approach to it. That it's, it wasn't jarring or felt like a cheat or anything like that. It fitted in with it, with what you were doing. Well, I don't know. Well, cheers to that. I, I stole that completely from um, Roger Langridge. I don't tell people that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, I didn't, you. I didn't steal those particular <laughs> images, but I, he. Um, yeah. yeah. He, he there's like in some of his comics he often will use um words i'm i'm sure somebody did it well i'm not sure roger's a flipping genius so he may have have come up with it himself but um there's something very vaudeville about it there's something kind of um uh pure i guess it gets back to that kind of thing i was talking about with um trying to make a medium which communicates to people who don't share the same language or have a have a, uh, a, a, a a less or more tenuous grasp on it like like what vaudeville theater provided for um you know the vast crowds of of new york theater goers at the time yeah. um, keep the jokes simple make the hits harder um let them see the joke coming from very early on so that it has more of an opportunity to make an impact um, I mean, th- I, I, I would love to, at some point, make a comic that captured the energy of the Marx Brothers, um, that kind of madcap, like, mile a minute pace. Yeah. Um, I don't know that it's possible in comics. I mean, this is, this is one of those things of, like, why comics, well, why film? Like, there, there's, you know, particular elements that the mediums possess quite uniquely. Um, which is why some stories excel in one medium and some excel in the others. It's a bit like, not that we were talking for an hour or two before this started recording, <laughs> um, but if we had been, uh, and we were talking about films, um, but like why I think it's not fair to call them comic book movies anymore, because they aren't, they have no relation to comic books. They're superheroes. Yeah, um, yeah. Superheroes aren't unique to comics. It's just that that is typically been the vehicle that is most recognizable, but you know, we really knowing that um, of of like the Superman serials of the forties, the Batman serials, the Shazam serials, the Phantom serials, 
the Rocket Man serials. There have been superheroes in film and on TV for almost as long as they've been in comics. So, like, comics don't really have the market on superheroes. Um, but you, it's not just to call anything that isn't a comic book a comic. Um, because it, they're, they're different mediums. They're completely different. Yeah. Which is why we love comics is because they 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 provide a level of storytelling that that other mediums have an affinity to, but they're at the same time the the whole of their parts aren't a comic. There's there's no replacement for a comic that does the same thing as a comic outside of a comic. Yeah, that's yeah. it. I mean, it's like I said to Nick last week, but I think the tactile element of a comic, that you hold it, you're physically in contact with it. <clears throat> you have a different bond to it beyond the, just the basic storytelling of the thing. It's that tactile feel of holding it and touching it and seeing it kind of thing is it feels more enveloping kind of, for want of a better word. Yeah, you feel more part of it than maybe just watching a film or listening to a radio play or kind of thing. And then a, reading a, a comic digitally. Yeah, um, yeah there's that that barrier of a screen, isn't there? It's yeah, yeah. There's also there's something, and I've I've got nothing wrong with digital comics. Um, it, I mean, any more. Um, for, for those of us who are creating comics over here in the UK, um, in order for us to, to break out of, of this market, um, yeah, we'll get a couple readers from people who um, very graciously back us on crowdfunding um, and who, you know, who will buy our comics from our online shops. But in order to really be able to make a dent, you've got to provide a, a sustainably cheap method of doing that. And digital is is the answer. Yeah. But the thing about um, the physical comic, well, not the thing. There's lots of things about a physical comic. But one of the things about a physical comic is that when you sit it to the printer, um, there is very little that can be done to change the decisions that have been made that result in the product which comes off of the, the finish of the of the production line. So the colors, the text, the, the page placement, um, every element of it is a finished thing. Whereas with something digital, things can change from screen to screen, from um, from operating system to operating system. There are there are variables that you can't really completely um, count on. Whereas, um, while you may not be able to say the same thing, you, you can say the same thing as it goes through the printing um, press. Once it's off the press, though, that's done. It's yeah. Complete thing, and you know then that the experience that somebody's getting. Well, we we have to assume. I mean, obviously, our experiences are all different. Yeah. But you know, you can you can flip through ten comics as they come out of the box and check to make sure that they're all the same. And once you know that they are then you know that at least you're doing your best effort at providing your readers with the same experience as each other one is getting. 
Yeah. And that's that's one of those things that I love about the the physical product. I know it's it's kind of um, probably overly methodically thought about, but it it's 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 but this is comics. It's those it's those small little gestures, those small nuances, which set comics apart from everything else. It is the smell of the ink. It is the feel of the paper. Um, it's the weight of the of the thing in your hand. Um, they all have a part to play in the enjoyment of the overall experience. Yeah, definitely. It's like a fine wine. You can... <laughs> oh, oh, this ink. Oh, that's that's <laughs> that is um, Intaglio ink. Oh, that is a heady. I mean, you've you've um, you've produced that uh, the Jason. Um, Isaac's comic. Yes, and well, and you've done the anthology before, so you you know what a room smells like when it's got when it's full of boxes of comics. Yeah, like even even without opening the boxes, even without looking through the comics, the comics have they leave an impression on the room <laughs> just from like the the fumes that the paper and the printing <laughs> ink provides. Um. um I'm a massive comic sniffer anyway. Something Andy always thought was weird until he sort of found out other people do it too. But the first thing I'll do with a comic then yeah. sometimes is just open it and sniff it. But I can smell a comic and instantly be back on my bedroom floor as a teenager or a kid reading comics, redrawing comics, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's instant. Absolutely. I'm pretty sure it's the only thing that's ever going to stick with me when I go see now because that's inevitable. <laughs> <laughs> I welcome it. Oh, I welcome it. Every so often, my kids will just come in, bring a comic for me to sniff, and be like, "He's back in a good place." Yeah. <laughs> there was a a pal of mine uh, uh, back in high school whose dad worked as a printer for um, the St. Louis uh, Post Dispatch, which was our our newspaper, and um, and you you would know that when he came back from work, if you like stopped over there, because there'd be the smell of printing <laughs> in the house and um it was kind of like a it was like a, it was like a really nice smell you know like how some people have that memory of like grandfather's pipe smoke there's something yeah. about like my buddy's dad's print smell <laughs> about him <laughs> it's, it's probably a more um or like a less antisocial smell than like a fishmonger brings home yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or like another friend who worked um at a, a white castle which is like a a burger joint, yeah, burger chain in the states, which they they always have like fried onions on the griddle. So like, no matter like how many days it had been since she had been working at the at White Castle, she always smelled of onions. <laughs> See, that's the kind of thing it just gets in your head, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I reckon they probably you know smell of onions for years. Yeah, I've <laughs> worked there for twenty years, and it won't go. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. But yeah, it's like you're getting like you're getting a full experience with comics. And yeah, you get the whole. I, I I don't think I've ever licked one before. No, I, it's probably going to devalue, isn't it? As as we know, everybody's in collecting comics for the money they're going to be worth one day. Well, absolutely. I mean, there's there's a reason I've I've got all my hologram covers from the nineties. In a, in a, a long box up in the, the loft because one day that's going to pay for my children's education 
just got an image now of true believers or something going to be walking past somebody selling back issues. There's just going to be one person cautiously move, slowly moving their tongue towards. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to be that guy. Yeah. <laughs> the liquor. <laughs> Again, if anyone has licked the comic, please do um, feel free to share the, the, the benefits of, of having done so. I'm sure somebody somewhere was dared to eat one. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I bet you Rich has licked one before. <laughs> Come if on, not, Rich. I think we've thrown Rich, down the gauntlet. Rich, you know you have. <laughs> Sorry, what? I said, if not, we've thrown down the gauntlet. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just pulls one off the print. <laughs> I defy him to deny it. I kind of want that as a review blurb on the back of a comic now. Yeah. <laughs> Licked it. Tastes great. <laughs> yeah, tastes great. Less filling. <laughs> I can't believe it's not Watchmen. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. They must have, like, the different colours must have different tastes, right? Possibly. I'm not sure. Well, I mean, they, they must have, like, chemical property like the chemical like so that like binding agents of like uh, yeah i suppose they would ink would be the same but the the pigments themselves would be made from different materials i would guess um, i'm kind of slightly worried in case it comes across that we're encouraging it and then a load of people get sick <laughs> <laughs> yeah like, I heard it on a podcast <laughs> this is like this is where we find out we, we like we break the story that um comic printers have been using like uh, arsenal, arsenic green. Uh, <laughs> it had been banned, you know, you know, for years, but uh, but they've been getting by on it because of I their... don't want people to end up like George Costanza's wife from Seinfeld or fiance from Seinfeld, where she died licking all the envelopes because he bought the cheap ones. <laughs> oh, geez, that just brought up those memories of um, uh, Name of the Rose, um, with um, oh, uh, Michael Douglas and. Sean Connery. Oh, Sean Connery, name of the sorry, it's Warren Bros, isn't it? And uh, oh, and my first my first experience of Ron Perlman, um, that him is that sort of like hunchback. Oh, he's in it, isn't he? Yeah, that it's been so long since I've seen that film. Oh, there's like tongues of like having licked the the fingers while turning the page. Oh, (laughs) good film, but Jesus, that'll give you nightmares if you're a kid. Yeah. Most things give you nightmares as a kid. I was scared to take the bins out because somebody got shot in the beginning of Commando but I've taken the bins out. <laughs> Which shouldn't have been the takeaway from Commando, but I was also far too young to be watching Commandos. <laughs> yeah. No, when you are a kid, like, everything is terrifying. I was like, shit, they kill you if you take the bins out. <laughs> yeah. I've been watching that, um, the, the Netflix series of Dark Crystal. Um, All right. Age of Resistance. I don't know if you've, if you've caught it. I've not. I've I, I have to whisper it, but I'm not a big Dark Crystal fan. Well, see, I wasn't either, mainly because of um, of how terrifying it was. But th- at the same time, I, I do love I love Jim. Like I'm a big Muppets fan. I love Jim Henson. I, I am. Like... I love all that. But Labyrinth and Dark Crystal just always left me cold, even as a kid. Oh, right. Well, I, I, I possibly I, should go back to them, but it's become a running joke with Andy now that I just. Yeah, I. I dare not watch the original Dark Crystal again because I worry that it wouldn't live up to my memory of it. Even though I, I won't say that I particularly enjoyed it because I was so terrified of it, it at least was very effective 
in as much as I was terrified of puppets. Yeah. But, yeah, but it's not, not a terrified. way to go then. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I will say that this new series is kind of, it's, it kind of like does what you want it to do. It, it reinforces your memory of it. So it's so well done that it's, it's the reason why I don't think I'll go back and watch the originals. It's because I think that they will, they won't live up to the high standard of these, these episodes. Yeah. I don't know why I was talking about this. Oh, <laughs> like scared. Um, but like every character in there from like the, the heroes to the villains, they all have their own levels of terrifying. Um, but that's in some ways, like that's just kids entertainment of the eighties. I think. Oh yeah, it's it, you wouldn't it wouldn't get through now for kids. <laughs> a lot yeah. of it, it was blatantly designed to give children nightmares. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, it's like some big conspiracy to toughen kids up, or just really <laughs> mess them up. <laughs> Maybe there's something about that. Maybe we are more resilient, a more resilient generation, because of of Doctor Who and Dark Crystal and Gremlins. And the Goonies. And... Yeah, and even Ghostbusters. Yeah, and the face melting in Indiana Jones. Yeah. Um, all of that contributed to the fact that we then um, had to uh, had to rebel against our the adults back in the 90s with Nirvana. And... <laughs> oh, yeah. Because we were so angry at them for what they did to us as kids. <laughs> this is what you made us. <laughs> yeah. I mean that you know that you could make an argument that like that was psychological torture. It's, yeah, it, it, I, I think it was because you just watched what your parents watched. Mm, yeah, so, well, I, you, you didn't really have a choice, especially if you only had one telly in the house or whatever. So films were straddling that line of entertaining both adults and kids. Yeah, here's, so they, just, okay, they so here's, didn't know where the line was. Here's something. Um, now that special effects are so seamless is like current media even more terrifying than it was when we were kids because now you can look back and you can watch the gremlins or you can watch um the goonies or you can watch dark crystal probably and notice how clunky all the special effects really are yet they were still so effective so if if such um, unconvincing special effects were so terrifying as kids, are seamless special effects even more terrifying? Or is it, I, is it like an equal level of terrifying? I don't think so. Again, I think it's that clinical element of it. There was something slightly more terrifying about it being a real tactile thing. Yeah. Like the gremlins were real puppets. They were practical effects. Yeah. I think that's why John Carpenter's The Thing still works so well, is because it's practical effects. Oh, whereas I, mean, whereas I think if it was CGI, you'd just be kind of like, yeah, it's just, they just did it in a computer. Yeah. Whereas knowing that somebody built that and worked out the mechanics of it, made it work, is oddly more terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, could you imagine being the like somebody who designs those like dead bodies for like Silent Witness, um, having to spend hours with this thing which wasn't ever alive and certainly isn't meant to look alive um you know they're meant to look dead uh does does it get to you 
or well, because you're part like you you have seen it through the entirety of its process does it does it always is it always just an object How? yeah I, I, yeah well i suppose you potentially got the detention i suppose it's the same as being a creator and killing your character off in your comic or something do you have the same attachment to it that a reader would have yeah okay well i mean to, if, if we're gonna frame it like that yeah it affects you in some way yeah i i hate having to kill off characters um like in well oh no i don't want to talk because that's gateway's been out long enough that i can give spoilers right yeah i think yeah well... so like like um johnny russo i did not intend on killing him at all um but i realized that there was a way that that in my mind bumper was becoming a more interesting character than johnny and that bumper's undying loyalty for johnny that if johnny died where would bumper go with that and that that would be a much more interesting journey than continually watching a two-bit gangster try to take control of the city yeah that, that seeing somebody who's who's who is built themselves up like built their entire life around someone else in a non-romantic way like like seeing that kind of loyal like 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 complete and utter love through loyalty what happens when that object is taken out um kind of like the like the stories of the the apocryphal stories of the the owner who died and the dog was so in love with the owner that the dog was seen for years later sitting on the grave of the of the dead person yeah you know i don't know whether that's actually really happened but that is a very compelling image compelling story um so it's something that that it affected me quite a bit though because i had um i've got quite a bit of the well i've got all of the plot written out um and i had to change quite a bit in order to make that work so there was there was like an emotional impact on two fronts there was one there was the emotional impact of like geez i'm gonna have to rework a lot of stuff do i really want to do this and two the emotional impact of i i really like the character um of johnny so you know i i i don't want to see him die but probably um, at the same time, I'm the puppet master, so I know I like ultimately I know I'm the one who's in control. So, whereas the reader has less control um, outside of just deciding not to turn the page. Um, get, like actually, that hits on another part of why comics are so brilliant. The, the thing they kind of share with like prose is that um, like the reader reads them at their own pace. Like, yes, we know that people traditionally read comics pretty quickly. But if, like, I always find this, that there will be some detail that I missed that will pop up in a, in a, like a panel. Yeah. And I'll have to, like, have that moment where I think, okay, did this just get introduced? Or was this something that they seeded earlier and I forgot about? And then, you know, nine times out of ten, you go back and you find, oh, actually, that, that, that's been there the entire time. It's just you hadn't realized yet how significant that element was going to be there. 
Um, yeah. Yeah, you sort of gloss over the non-essential, don't you? Not realising that it's potentially essential later on. Mm. Which is silly because, like, we've we've learned from um, from film and TV and comics that if uh, it's like the um, there's that anecdote about um, uh, Anton Chekhov, the playwright, who who said if you're going to put a shotgun, I'm paraphrasing terribly here. If you're going to put a shotgun on the wall of a of the of your set, um, you you better damn make sure that, um, that that shotgun gets fired by the end of Act Two. Yeah, it's the it's the whole thing with um, it's like the watch in Die Hard, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So the like, whole big thing of showing that watch off. Yeah, is that you know it's going to play, but you don't necessarily register it until after it actually happens later in the film. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's why they made a big deal about the watch, mm. which is why it's really unsatisfying sometimes. Like in whichever James Bond film is Goldeneye, I think, where they spend ages pouring over everything the car can do and then don't use it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, why? Because <laughs> it's going to sell toys. Well, maybe not toys. But... It's like because we paid, Mercedes paid a lot of money for this, or BMW paid a lot for this to be in here, so we're going to pour over it and then not use it. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. But, but it just really sticks out when that happens. Yeah, but maybe I don't know. Maybe does it does it stick out less in comics? I I wonder. Yeah, possibly. Because there there are shots that exist in like comic language which I don't notice as much in film or TV, and 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 probably not hardly at all in. Um, prose. Um, I can now that I'm thinking about it. I can't come up with a few examples, but they're 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 unique to particular writers. But um, the those shots of like tone setting shots, like like Mike Manola does so well. Where I mean, you you probably know the shots um, where you'll have like Hellboy is walking into a castle, and there will be interspersed between him walking down this rickety staircase there will be a shot of a of a, a ripped up painting or a weeping madonna or um like a like a critter hiding in the shadows that they aren't there to tell anything that moves the story further but they're there to help to set the scene of how potentially dangerous this space is yeah. how weird it is um that like you don't you don't see a whole lot of that in film or if you do maybe it's like just like seconds but with like a page of comics even the panels that have the most um profound story beats get just as much potential reading time as those little inset panels of of um, objects and still lives and tone setting devices. Yeah. So they're just that much more noticeable. So maybe because of that, you as a as a comic crafter, you can hide things a bit better, so they become a bit more of a shock. Yeah, uh, I think as well. This this possibly something that's psychologically built in with comics that you don't necessarily expect that you're going to read every issue. So there will be things that. So you don't necessarily register things because unless you actually read the issue in which it pays off, 
Because mm. certainly like, when I used to get comics as a kid, you got them sporadically. You didn't get them every week. So there were huge chunks missing. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's... So you just kind of... It's built into you from a young age that maybe that paid off, maybe it didn't. Yeah. It's kind of cool. <laughs> I mean, there's that thing that Tony was talking about, about like how um, the... Uh, this the sporadic nature of um, like American comic release in the UK meant that you you didn't necessarily there were a lot of unresolved plot threads. Yeah, there's something about comic readers too that I think are much more. Maybe it's because of of things like that because of um, you know you're uh, a kid and if you grew up where I grew up um, you could, I couldn't walk to a store I grew up out in the middle of nowhere. Um, so if I was completely beholden to, um, from like, for my, my mobility, uh, to my parents to take me into the nearest town and the nearest town, like the town that I grew up in didn't, it did have a drugstore, but the drugstore didn't have a comic section that I re can remember. We had to go into one of two towns that were about. I don't know, about a 15 to 20 minute drive away. And it, it wasn't until I was in the 90s that I actually, that a, a comic shop, um, like a dedicated comic shop existed in my, like my understanding that that was even a thing. Yeah. Um, so you were, you were reliant one, I was, well, I was reliant one on the, the, the generosity of my parents to take me somewhere where I could find something. And if it didn't have what I was looking for to then take me to the next potential place and on and on until either they got grumpy or I just gave up. Yeah. But, but that, that there's that thing that, that comic readers have, which I don't know that that exists in the, in the toolbox of other readers of being okay with, um, with massive jumps with being able like of of being dropped into the middle of an a gargantuan battle between sides of characters you're not even necessarily sure of all the backstories but you are willing to give it several pages before you start to um express uh confusion yeah there's like this kind of level of like, yeah, okay, I'll go with this. I'm fine with this. I don't necessarily know what's going on, but I am quite certain that if I read this panel, this panel, this panel, this panel, turn the page and continue reading, that it will start to make sense. I may not get all of the, the references, but if somebody makes if somebody makes a, a reference to something that hasn't happened yet, well, I can accept that it did happen. I don't necessarily need to know exactly what it was but i know that they're talking about it and i know that they're talking about it in a in a way that is eliciting a certain emotional response yeah. so i don't necessarily need to know exactly what it was but i i get that that had a profound impact on the on the relationship between these two people and i can understand that they're arguing but you know i i don't need to know exactly what the argument is about but you can tell by the body language that one person thinks they're right the other person thinks they're right and that you know from from a knowledge of arguments that's often the case so, like, I haven't, I haven't lost anything, and I'm sure if it is really important, it will be recapped later on. Um, yeah. 
it's, it's the kind of thing I think is key in becoming or you know honing skills as a storyteller those first sort of buds is you filled in the blanks yourself a lot of the time as well hmm. so you know and it generally never anything like what actually happened <laughs> when yeah. you finally when you finally did pick up that issue like oh it went that way that's not how I saw it <laughs> yeah and again um 150 panels per issue that thing that happened took up three of those panels yeah so like you know is it significant sure i mean in the death of superman you know superman you can only die in one panel at the end of the day so as impactful as that moment is it's only ever going to take up one two panels yeah um it you I guess that's another thing of like comics versus other mediums is that the that that you're limited somewhat in the impact of things because you know how many how many films have you watched where they where a character dies and um, the camera just kind of lingers over the body and you see all the expressions and that that's all one shot you you don't you don't get that in comics so you've got to you have to be a participant and you have to imbue each panel with the appropriate level of of emotional impact and response in order to make it come alive yeah and um i I guess that's another reason why they you know for those of us who love comics that's why they are so important is because they um they allow us to kind of play along and step in um, and fill in those blanks, whatever they may be. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I th- I think that's sort of a a good note to end it on. But sort of okay. before we go, um, you got any sort of comic recommendations? Either things that inspired you, or what you're reading now, or things you think people who are interested in discovering more comics should check out. Sure. Uh... Yeah, sure. There's always stuff um, on the go. Uh, Going back to um, uh, Harvey Kurtzman, I'd, I'd say pick up, yeah, check out Quips in the Imgen. Check out check out quite a few of those um, re-releases that Fantagraphics did of the EC comics. One, they're done beautifully, so they're beautiful little things. Um, two, uh, there's some really, really strong storytelling. If you're a fan of war comics, if you're a fan of horror or sci-fi, and you've never read... Um, one of the one of their comics um then then do if if for no other reason than just for filling out your knowledge about that area but the the writing is brilliant um and the artwork is gorgeous um but at the moment what i am reading um okay so i'm thinking a lot about inktober because it's coming around and i want to be i i as much as i loved doing black iris i realized that it was um when i was sort of two weeks into it how i really set myself up for something that was far more time um uh uh, precious or time demanding than i than i really i could afford yeah Um, which is why i had to abandon it midway through and then couldn't you know then i wound up finishing off later on uh was was i was i was drawing a comic at the time um under contract and i couldn't i couldn't justify you know i was 
putting the stuff online for everyone to see, including the editor of the book that I was being paid to do. So I couldn't I couldn't really justify turning pages in late. Um, yeah, that's a tricky <laughs> conversation. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm looking I've been looking at a lot of straight black and white stuff to to try and pick up on how to to best use um, like black and white to tell the story without relying on color and yeah. without relying on, on ink wash, which is what Black Iris was. Um, so, and and I want to, um, because the, the, the projects that I'm working on at the moment, um, because they are paid up front, they're not my own projects. So they, I'm desperate to get back to Gateway City. And I know that a lot of people have been asking me when the next thing is coming up. So while I am, um, um, I'm smoothing out the rough edges on the next arc. Uh, I, I thought I would I would revisit that world with people. Um, so the next thing is going to be a Gateway City story. So um, I'm looking at like noir comics, and I I picked up Joe's Bar at um, at I think it was at the Oxfam in Kendall at last year's um, Lakes show. Um, and it's by, I think they're Argentinian, two, um, by two Argentinians, uh, writer-artist, um, um, uh, Moon, 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 Munoz, Munoz, maybe, Jay Munoz and C. <laughs> Sampeo. Uh, I apologize to both of them for butchering the names. Um, but this was originally published back in the 80s um, in English. Um, but... Jesus, is it a pretty book? Um, so again, the book is Joe's Bar, and from what I can tell, from what I've read around this book, is that by the at the point at which they were writing this, they had never been outside of Argentina, let alone having like having visited to New York, which is where Joe's Bar is set. So they're creating this version of New York completely from, I'm assuming, whatever media they were. Um, exposed to so film maybe radio um books uh so it's 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 a i won't i won't call it a pastiche because i think um that often has a negative connotation to it i don't necessarily think pastiche is negative but but it's it's a it's it's sort of a fantastic um version of new york maybe not necessarily realistic but it's a series of short stories i've read i think five of six that are in this book um, and they all center around this bar, Joe's bar. And there's a couple characters that reappear, but for the most part, each story is independent and follows one or two characters. Um, and they are really subtle storytelling, really beautiful storytelling. Um, and uh, <clears throat> there's a bit of sort of like Carson McCullers. Salad about of the sad, not salad of the bad cafe, about of the sad cafe. Um, this to them where they are, they're all kind of ugly, grotesque, um, characters, but at the same time, there's there's something beautiful about them. And the artwork is is incredible. Um, I can't imagine it's going to be to everybody's taste, but it's it is, um, it is brave, like it is un, um. Uh, it's unapologetic in what it is. It's it's just like really um, uh, determined decision making, 
beautiful mark making. These characters are so ugly and so beautiful at the same time. Um, like they could easily be out of like stepping out of like post World War One paintings um, or be they would find themselves at home as, as well as like in, in um, Dark Knight Returns. Um, cool. It's a really, really, really cool book. Yeah. I'm, it's one that I can tell I'm going to read and reread and reread. Um, and uh, I, I, I'm just, I'm just kind of angry at myself for not having read it earlier. Um, <laughs> but uh, if people could find it, if you can find a copy of it, go get it. These guys are, are absolutely brilliant. And they're, they're kind of, firing on all pistons in this book um it's i think it's i've often seen it kind of being sold as as noir i don't know that it is noir there are there it has an affinity with noir but i think they're really um they're 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 kind of um sort of like outsider stories they're, they're kind of down on down on the luck stories, but they don't, they don't necessarily, they don't necessarily have that same kind of, um, sort of, well, well, there is foreboding elements. I don't, I don't think that they are exactly noir, but definitely one to check out. Another one, um, that I'm re looking at, this is, this, this is one of my favorites, um, is, uh, Torpedo, going through a couple of volumes of that. Oh, cool. Um, uh, Sanchez Abuli and Jordi Bernay. Um, Jordi Bernay, his artwork is just gorgeous um there's something about that kind of um non-american non-british artwork um that you see in europe and south america um which is something that i you know i'm, I'm trying to kind of add more into i know that people like nick is really really good at, at kind of figuring out a way of translating that style into a, a like an Anglo, uh, Anglo-American voice. He yeah. does it really well. I'm really envious of it, actually. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, don't tell him I said that. Um, uh, but it, it's so, like, there's so much emotion behind it. Those, those brush strokes are so well thought out, um, so well composed. And, like, what, like, what a sleazebag torpedo is. But, like, you still care about him some way. I don't know. Um, I don't know how how that's possible, but it really is. Anyway, um, if if you haven't looked at the torpedo before, check it out. Um, the first volume has a couple of um, Alex Toth stories in it as well. I think oh, cool. I think Toth gave up. I think Toth kind of divorced from the project. Uh, something about I want to say something about he he wasn't comfortable with the um, the the ambiguousness of um, Torpedo's character. I may be wrong. There, there are people out there who, you know, who are Toth scholars who probably chide me. So if you want to add that to um, A, my math, B, my pronunciation of Munoz, <laughs> and all the other lists of things that I've got wrong, feel free to. But um, uh, that, that entire series, um, if you can pick them up, do so. Um, something I'm reading, uh, which uh I've, I've been kind of going through it um I, I bought the first uh i think i bought the first two floppies i'm not sure but i i kind of thought oh i'll actually wait until this is out in trade and then picked it up um uh, about a month ago 
is um, Dan Panosian slots. Did you? Did you? It's image put this out. I don't know if you if you saw it. No, I'm not. Probably Skybound. Um, it's it's sort of classic, um, like Lawrence Block storytelling. Um, it it's sort of um, down on his luck. Uh, retired boxer um, is called back to Las Vegas to help out a, a like an aging um, burlesque dancer and the, the maybe their daughter. I don't I don't know that it is their daughter. I don't think it is. But like, um, and he at the same time like he's also um, bumping into uh, his his estranged son. So there's there's this kind of relationship about um estrangement and at the same time like being proud of for who they are um even though you've you've kind of made their life hell is it there's there's also like there's a reference to like johnny cash um the son's name is lucy so there's kind of <laughs> that like boy named sue there's that sort of um i've turned you into a tough guy because i i you know i wasn't going to be around um, there's, there, there are moments in it, which I think are like a borderline, um, misogynistic if, well, they probably go over the line, but there's a, there's a level of like, you kind of expect that from this type of storytelling. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, the, the, the macho-ness though, isn't, I don't know, you could argue that maybe it's toxic, but I think they're the, like, even the main character, he's, he's kind of. So down on his luck, and he's not admirable in any way. Um, he's not painted out to be admirable. I think, I think what it's it's sort of a love letter to that um, to that genre yeah. of these sort of these like kind of Las Vegas stories. They've got again, there's there's kind of like a through link you can see. There is a it has elements of noir in it, but it isn't noir. It's that kind of it's like pulp storytelling. It's a kind of schlocky Las Vegas. Um, there's there are like elements of a heist, but not a heist. That kind of a setup. Yeah, very typical of that kind of those Dell books from the sixties and seventies. Yeah, um, I was just looking at a couple of pages on. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I love Dampinoche. He's a brilliant artist, um, and it's you know this is one of those books that he gets to kind of call the shots on. Um, it's a, it's a really fun read so far. Um, I think I'm three issues in so i'll probably finish this tonight or tomorrow um but i you know for if you like that kind of um gutsy sort of vegas sinatra way then um i say you'll probably like this the art the art's brilliant he's he's got such a identifiable mark it, yeah it's it's like it's like those sort of um uh jose garcia lupe like lopez um sort of mark making but unleashed like sort of let raw there's there's there, actually you know what there is there's some jack davisness into his artwork like there's some proper like jack davis line work going on in here um a lot of fun though so i'd, I'd recommend those for like small press shout outs um i i've i've reread, I've reread this a couple of times i'm going through like a pile of like kickstarter stuff that i've um I've been collecting i typically kind of like all go through it at once yeah um, yeah, I'm the same. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it's, you know, when you're only getting like issues in drips and drabs, I typically like, I'll like support 
like two or three Kickstarters, and then I'll read through them. But something that um, I've I've read and reread a couple times now is um, I mentioned them before we started recording was um, Emily Owen and Gavin Mitchell's um, Pup and Grumpicon. Yeah, like it is everything that I want. I would love to do with an all ages book. Like it's it's a I love I love buddy stories. I love buddy stories, um, and there is something really. Um, familiar with these two characters but at the same time um they are they 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 themselves are quite unique they have their own unique personalities which um while there are there are things that you might recognize from like say sam and max um or avon costello or yeah all the great double acts or whether they're from whatever medium um they in themselves have their own uh, very defined characters and they stay true to those characters and um they're just these these little short have you read it you... uh yeah they did i've i backed the kickstarter they did a short for the second issue of tales oh right on from beyond infinity they did one for that and that was my oh. first exposure to it brilliant and yeah i fell okay. in love with the character so then when the kickstarter happened i yeah backed it and got the book oh but god it's good it's the, it's the kind of comic that i wish i had when i was a kid I, yeah I, would have loved it um so so long may it continue is i'm gonna say and geez they work well together i mean yeah you don't often kind of um like, i probably if like emily and i like my wife emily and i try to make a book together we'd probably kill each other by the end of it <laughs> um, um but there's there's such a harmony between the way they work and, yeah and um boy it's a gorgeous book so it is, yeah it's lovely yeah, for all you know, for for I I think all ages books right now they're just so I I said this on Twitter the other day and I I I mean it. Um, I was thinking of like uh, um, the further adventures of Bun. Like they're so important for the medium to get you know for for to to bring readers in at a young age to to get them that sort of visual literacy so that they fall in love with comics and they're part of their. Um, they're sort of reading um they're they're active reading you know yeah i think i think reading novels is really important too but i think having a kind of a really wide breadth of reading and so when people like um like maddie's comics and like um like emily and gavin put out something like this um it just it like one it lights a fire under my butt to say going out and do one but two it just gives me such faith that um that the kids these days are in good hands. Like that they there is a lot of really good all ages material out there. Um and it's really inventive and it's really unique. Um and it's not the same old stories hashed out over and over again. And it, it incorporates um the 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 sort of the modernity. Um it is it's bringing in um contemporary references and staying fresh and fun. And um yeah I, I can't I can't I can't recommend it highly enough. So that's what I'm reading at the moment. Awesome. Cool. Well, cheers for doing this, man. I really enjoyed yeah. it. Man, it is my pleasure to come on. I really hope I haven't bored the hell out of people. Um, I don't think so, no. I mean, I mean we'll find it in the comment section. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if nothing else, they can fact check me. That's it. <laughs> I can do my best Trump impression. Big news. <laughs> um, come on, we all want to. Yeah. <laughs>
But uh, yeah, thanks, Steve. Appreciate it, and it's uh, it's a pleasure to be on here. Uh, cool. Like I say, thanks for doing that. I'm really, really pleased you did. So. And thanks cool. for doing the series. I think it's um, it's a really good idea. So congratulations. Us. It's nice to say. I can't afford to keep sending you money for saying nice things. So, <laughs> I'll but... keep my PayPal open. Yes. <laughs> um, before we go, actually, where can people find you online? Oh, yeah, cool. Um, you can find me at. Um, I've got a, a, a blog which I don't update as much as I can, but at least it's a, like a landing portal for all my other um, activities. Uh, it's Russell Mark Olson dot blogspot dot com. No, actually, it's I've. I've I've paid for a domain, so it's just russellmarkolson.co.uk. Um, R U S S E O L M A R K O L S O N .co.uk. Uh, Twitter, I think it's russell underscore m underscore olson. Um, I think Instagram, it's russell mark olson, and uh, Facebook, it's russell mark olson comics illustration. Um, but I'm most active on Twitter and Instagram. Awesome. Cool. Like I say, thank you for doing that, and yeah, really enjoyed right. it. And hopefully, the mass elite won't come after you too too much. <laughs> Dude, nothing else for for refusing to put an S on the end of the word. <laughs> well, thanks, awesome. dude. Cheers, and, uh, hope to see you at uh, con soon. Yeah, um, where are you at? You doing Nottingham or? Yeah, I'm, well, no, I'm, I'm not doing Nottingham. I'm doing um, Limington. I'm doing Lakes. I'm doing. Um, Thought bubble. Oh, and um, um, Matt Hardy from Mad Robots. Uh, brilliant Matt Hardy. I love the guy. He's inviting me to um, sit at his table at MCM London in October. Oh, cool. So I've never done one of those before. Um, and uh, yeah, he was really kind to give me a spot. So shout out to Matt. He's he's check out his books. He's brilliant. Um, yeah, I'll be I'll be there. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Cheers, man. Nice, dude. Appreciate See it. See Take Bye. care. Bye. And that was my chat with Russell. Uh, I really hope you enjoyed it. I'd like to thank Russell again for being on the episode. Uh, it was a hugely enjoyable chat with him. Really enjoyed it. And, um, yeah, like I say, we spoke for ages before, and I might have to go through that. And There's probably a podcast in that in itself, to be honest. Uh, we had a really good general chat about comics. Um, you can find Russell online. Is uh, blog site was russellmarkolson.co.uk you can find him on twitter as at russell underscore m underscore olson he's also on instagram and facebook yeah i'll put all the links in the show notes so you can find it all on there before i go i want to give a shout out to a kickstarter which is the cosplayer that doomed the earth which as this goes out on wednesday will have one more day to go it ends at 11 a.m on thursday the 12th so tomorrow if you're listening to this on day of release um looks like a really cool kickstart i've backed it i'm really keen to see it get through i've got nothing else invested in it other than that i just want to read it so um and have the physical comic in my hand so if you like go to kickstart and search the cosplayer that doomed the earth uh give it a look if you like what you see and you're able to please give it a back in help it just get it over the line like i say it looks great and i've got nothing else in it other than i want to see it succeed because I want to read it, quite frankly. Uh, it's purely selfish. Away from that, you can find 
the Nerds Who Haunted Themselves online. We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash haunted nerds. We're on Twitter at OKTrueBelievers. Uh, the website, you can find us on the True Believers website, which is OKTrueBelievers.com, where you can find the podcast, comics, uh, including the Hello to Jason Isaacs comic that I did, um, Troops News and all that sort of stuff on there. You can find all the old episodes of the pod. Um, we're also on Podbean, which is hauntednerds.podbean.com. If, for whatever crazy reason, you're interested in following me online, you can find me on Twitter as at TokenNerd. I'm on Instagram as Stuart Thinks He Can Draw. Um, and I'm on Facebook as facebook.com forward slash Stuart Can't Draw. Um, that's it for this week. Um, I'm not sure what's coming next week because, again, I'm flying by the seat of my pants on this one. Um, I'm hoping to get a couple of things in the bank, but scheduling with various other things, getting the robot comic finished and that. Um, yeah, I'm not as on it as I probably should be. Um, but yeah, until then, this has been a Nerds Who Haunted Themselves production, and I've been Stuart Moraine, and until next time, read some awesome comics, create some awesome things, and keep spreading the full colour word. Cheers for listening. Bye. Bye.